The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. All right. So that, uh, yeah, you can give a, yeah, absolutely. Uh, we just wanted to show that just kind of a way to thank you guys for praying for uh, Mission G. We do that every year in Galveston, and uh, God did a great work uh, through the students and the leaders. It was just an awesome time together. Also, just uh, something to remember, just to highlight, a garage sale is coming up. It's the largest garage sale in, um, what is it, all of Texas? I don't even know, but uh, it is a big, stinking garage sale. So uh, we need lots of help, lots of people serving in different ways. You can go to the Hub to get signed up. We need donations. Uh, you know, all those things you bought during uh, quarantine that you probably aren't using anymore, uh, exercise equipment or something like that, uh, you guys can uh, bring it on up here this week and we will sell it for you. And all this money goes to uh, help with missions, uh, goes to local outreach, to Discipleship Unlimited this year, and also uh, to our work in the Arabian Peninsula as well. So we'd love to have your help. Uh, there's an online silent auction that has lots of amazing things on it there. Uh, so go check it out this week and support uh, the outreach we're doing here and you guys are doing at TBC. So we're uh, continuing in Nehemiah. We're looking at Nehemiah chapter 6 and 7 today. Uh, so the bulk of our time will be in Nehemiah 6. Uh, last week we looked at the rebuilding of the wall continuing. Uh, Nehemiah addressed the problem with the leaders taking advantage of their fellow people exacting this ridiculous amount of interest and basically weighing people down with this heavy burden. And Nehemiah boldly calls them out for their actions and basically says, look, this isn't right. We need to set this straight. So the leaders actually commit to making things right. They pray and submit to God here. And so Nehemiah acted justly. He, uh, he acted honorably, but that didn't shield him from criticism and even threats on his own life, as we'll see in this passage. Before we get to Nehemiah 6, I'd really like to highlight a, uh, a popular passage in Romans uh, to kind of kick this off today. Uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So you might ask yourself, you know, why is, why, why is he reading uh, from a passage that was 450 years or so after Nehemiah 6? Well, uh, first of all, it's important for us to see uh, what God's will is because oftentimes in church circles, we kind of make God's will out to be this mystery, this kind of hidden treasure, and, and maybe one day you'll discover it. Maybe one day you'll be privileged to actually know what God's magical will is, right? And it's just this un unlimited search, and you're just always trying to find it. College students might deal with this, where it's like, what does God want from me? And here it is, I'm going to give you the secret right here to knowing God's will. It's right there. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Memorize those two verses. Get them tattooed on your arm or your face or whatever you need to do because this is it. This is it. You want to know God's will? Here it is. And what's great about this passage we're going to look at is this man, Nehemiah, took this to heart. God's will. What am I doing? He's giving himself as an act of worship on a daily basis 450 years before this passage was written. 
So we can find in Nehemiah's life his commitment to doing God's will as an inspiration and a challenge to us. See, Nehemiah, he wasn't an amazingly articulate prophet like Elijah. He wasn't one of those guys that brought a message of judgment like Jeremiah. He didn't call fire down from the sky uh, like Elijah. Among many of the possible descriptions, he was a governor, a project manager, a peacemaker, as we saw last week, a persistent worker, an obedient servant. See, contrary to these other prophets who are so dynamic, Nehemiah was a little bit more relatable to many of us. He's doing his job. He was called to work. He was called to oversee. And many of you are in different roles like that. And sometimes you kind of look at roles and you look at responsibilities and you see maybe someone on the stage or you see an elder in the church or a deacon. You're thinking, yeah, they're doing the work, right? And the reality is no. They're doing the work, but so are you. You are coming alongside all of us as equal partners in the gospel. And Nehemiah is doing his thing, building a wall, bringing glory to God, his life as an act of worship. A.W. Tozer writes, it's not what a man does that determines whether his work is sacred or secular, it's why he does it. The motive is everything. Let a man sanctify the Lord God in his heart and he can thereafter do no common act. So as we study this passage together today, let Nehemiah's testimony of doing God's will challenge us, inspire us as we pursue to carry out God's will, no matter what your position or stage of life. It's not something you wait for. It's not something you wait, all right, when I graduate, then I'll be doing God's will. When I finish school, then I'll be, when I do this. When I have kids, then I'll settle down and maybe pursue God's will. It's wherever you are. As a five-year-old, as an eight-year-old, no matter what it is, we can all pursue God's will. So let's take time to observe and understand and think about Nehemiah's passionate pursuit of God's will as it played out in his everyday life. And you'll see some of these things are big screen worthy. (laughs) Some of these events that took place in his life will kind of blow your mind. Let's look at verse one and two first in chapter six. When Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, though at the time I had not installed the doors in the city gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. They were planning to harm me. So here, this first observation we can make is that obeying God's will does not necessarily mean safety. Obeying God's will does not mean safety. Actually, it often guarantees the opposite. When God calls you to something and to do his will and carry out his will, it means sacrifice. It means giving up weekends sometimes and and the things you want to do as a family, maybe uh, to push forward and do what God wants you to do. Maybe the entertainment of our lives can be tampered down and actually replace that with things that are called sacrifice and difficult and sometimes painful. You see, we see it in his life where they're trying to lure him away from Jewish territory to eliminate him. See, Jesus called being persecuted a blessing. Many of us, including myself, I like to run from it, right? Oh, this is tough. This must not be for me. Uh, No, 
Not according to Jesus. In Matthew 5, 10 and 12, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here it's Jesus referencing Nehemiah, a prophet. And he was persecuted as well. Here's something important for you to hear. Your best life now includes trials, difficulty, tribulation, pain, and suffering. Wow. I'm glad I came today, Tim. Thanks for the exciting word. But no, it's true. Some of us embodied it in this lie that's a, a lie from the pit of hell, and it's called the prosperity gospel. And it says that if you follow Jesus, then you will be blessed financially and you will get that promotion. And you're gonna look good in front of your friends. You're gonna have that boat. You're gonna have that house. You're gonna have this. You're gonna have that. And it's all pursuit of things that aren't worth anything in when, it, when it comes to eternity. And we pursue these things and what in fact happens is we basically say we're leaving God out. There's no need for God. If we pursue prosperity, then we leave God out of the equation because oftentimes what he calls us to is difficulty and pain and he called Nehemiah to that. Look at Paul. Paul boasts about his trials in 2 Corinthians 11. He says in verse 23 to 25, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. And and it's funny, he sounds kind of cocky until you hear what he's uh, bragging about. Am I talking like a madman? With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea and that's just half of the passage. And he's bragging and boasting about his trials. It doesn't mean safety when we pursue God's will. Also, when we consider every second of our lives as an act of worship, we also stay more focused. Look at verse three. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing important work here and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? It's like, look, I'm focused. I'm laser focused on what God's given me. And if I was going to paraphrase this, I I would say, I don't have time for your mess. Leave me alone. I'm focused. I'm, I'm right on it. I'm on God's will. I'm doing what he's called me to do. And so he was focused. He stayed focused. And then the more we passionately pursue God's will, the more persistent the enemy becomes. Look at verse four and five. Four times they sent me the same proposal and I gave them the same reply. Sam Ballot sent me the same message a fifth time by his aide who had an open letter in his hand. And so we see him just coming at him night and day, just bam, bam, bam. Five different times they're trying to get him to fall. And even later we'll see Sam Ballot doesn't give up. He even starts using his own friends against him. And so we see when we're doing God's work, when we're pushing to know God's will and to do God's will, oftentimes the enemy gets stronger and attacks more. 
I kind of thought about it this way, especially approaching the final four. Had uh, one great game, and the game, uh, the other game was my team lost, so I won't talk about that too much. But, <clears throat> but some great games have, have been going on, and you know the finals tomorrow night for basketball and the NCAA championships for the guys. And uh, I thought about a coach as I was preparing for this. I thought about uh, game planning and film watching. I know we got a coach right down here, my buddy Matt. You know when he's watching film, I imagine when. He's watching film. He probably isn't game planning for the kid that never puts his helmet on in a football game, right? He's on the end of the bench picking his nose and he really doesn't know the game plan at all, right? He's not watching film like, oh, we got to get film on this kid practicing and, and get him and see what he does. He's not wasting his time on that, right? When we're game plan, I mean, you talking about the game planner right here, Kobe up here watching on a flight. He's watching film and he's studying the other star that he's going to be shutting down that night, right? And he's, he's looking at ways to attack and that's kind of how the enemy is. The enemy is game planning and attacking those who are in the fight. So for you who maybe are free from uh, pain or, or trial or, or suffering, maybe you could ask yourself a question like, why? Why am I not experiencing an attack from the enemy? And unfortunately, the answer might be, you're the one at the end of the bench. You're actually not in the game. He ain't worried about you. You still got your warm-ups on. And the challenge for us when we look at Nehemiah's life is like, man, he is in the game. And the enemy comes at him and pursues him more and pushes and doesn't let up five times. Look at the sampling of the list of what he was up against. False accusations Ridicule, attacks from within, appeal to higher authorities to stop the project, rumors to instill fear, temptations to sin, false prophecies, physical threats, plots to distract his attention, and disloyalty among his own team, among his own friends. First <clears throat> Peter five eight says, Be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This is what he wants to do to you. When you pursue God's will, he is looking to devour you, to discredit you like they're doing here with Nehemiah. So, do you find yourself attacked by the enemy? Join the club and abide in Christ. You find yourself attacked today, you find yourself persecuted or in trials or or difficulty, especially from, I'm I'm not talking about like you bringing this on yourself because you're doing dumb stuff. I'm talking about you following God's will and pursuing what he wants for you and you feel attacked and in these moments you can count yourself blessed to be part of it and then follow what John and 1 John says uh, to abide in Christ daily. Also, focused obedience to God's will can often lead you misunderstood. Look at verse six and seven. So this letter, this note that they sent, 
an open letter, and it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem agrees that you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you are building the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king and have, set, and have even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf, there is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king, so come, let's confer together. So he's misunderstood, right? Sam Ballad accused Nehemiah and the people of a scheme to rebel and set Nehemiah up as king. This is one of the first instances of fake news in history. Here it is. He's putting out there this fake news saying Nehemiah wants to be set up as king. And what's reality is there's been prophecies about a king. And this could be legitimately believed. And if it was believed, it's important to note that King Artaxerxes, who sent Nehemiah to build that wall, would have to come and squash this rebellion and kill Nehemiah. <clears throat> so this news was be, to be taken seriously. This letter was to be taken seriously. And man, you can look, it just like drips with this deceit. It drips with the enemy of just, oh. He's like, even there, he's like, these rumors will be heard by the king. You can just see this viciousness in his words, trying to create fear in Nehemiah, trying to create fear in his enemy. Sam Ballot's not a new character in the story. He's the governor of the Persian province of Syria. But you can see him all the way back in chapter 2 of this book, in 19 and 20, up to the same thing. But when Sam Ballot, the Horonite, Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, Geshem, these three stooges here, uh, the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. So this power and this pursuit is nothing new from Nehemiah. Chapter two shows it. He's still trusting in God. He, he identifies who will make them prosper. It is God himself. The modern day equivalent to this, this type of fake news type stuff would be like modern day trolls on the internet where it's like you got a good thing going, God is doing something great and someone wants to tear it down. God is doing great things and then someone wants to throw in some excuse or some explanation where God really isn't doing what he said he would do and so we have this rising up on social media and all these different things just to shoot down these things that God is doing but nothing can stop the greatness of God. See, also Jesus was misunderstood. Look at Matthew 12, verse 22. Then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man who uh, spoke and saw and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Even Jesus was misunderstood. He healed this man and gave him freedom from demons and from this blindness. And the reality is they point back and accuse him of being possessed, Jesus being possessed and being used by Satan himself. So he was misunderstood. <clears throat> Not only does following God's will leave us misunderstood, but determination to do God's will also pushes us to make bold choices in the face of opposition. Look at verse eight. Then I replied to him, there is nothing to these rumors you're spreading. You're inventing them with your own mind. So he boldly, even back in chapter two, we see his bold uh, proclamation saying, look, this is ridiculous. You're making these things up. See, Sam Ballot's attempts are classic tactics wishing to instill fear. 
while stopping the work on the wall, but Nehemiah boldly speaks truth. You're making these things up. I love, if you jump down to verse 11, I love what he says there. Should such a man as I run away? Like, almost like, do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> like, I have the power of God resting on me. I'm not running away. See, it's also interesting. Many of us, including myself, I often run. When times get tough, I run away, but that's not what he's calling us to. I'm sure Nehemiah was familiar with these words that Moses spoke to Joshua in Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Also, seeing God's will played out in the real world takes persistence in God's power. Look at this verse in verse 9. For they were all trying to intimidate us, saying they will drop their hands from the work and it will never be finished. But now, my God, strengthen my hands. I love that statement. My God, strengthen my hands. He sees this persistent, but it's from God's power, not his own power. The enemy hoped to to bombard the people with fear to the point of giving up on the wall. This reminds me of the relentless attacks of the Russians, especially particularly on this city, Mariupol. Basically, it's this beautiful city, and now it's just reduced to rubble, and they just continue to attack, and they didn't really factor in the relentlessness of their enemy, the Ukrainian people, the resiliency and the fight that they have. And on a deeper level, though, a more personal level, they also underestimated the spiritual, God-fearing people who are actively taking Uh, humanitarian aid and first aid kits into the fight. It's just such a powerful thing to see people persist and be resilient and fight in the power of God. We're going to see a video here in a second, but I want to set this up to help you understand. When you watch this video, you're going to see a driver's view of a road, and it's a dirt road, and they're in these white cargo vans, and they're taking these vans packed with food and first aid supplies supplies, and they're taking them from Poland into Ukraine. But you won't see them on regular roads because the enemy is there, and if they go too too close to the roads, they will be killed. This week, one of these guys driving one of these vans was killed. And what we're about to see is something that they're doing is they're creating their own roads. They're driving on the dirt into the woods to meet up with Ukrainian people to drop off these supplies and to, and to sneak other people out of the country. Let's check out uh, this, uh, this short video. So you see this row of vans, these cargo vans just packed with supplies. And it shows that these people are in the fight. These people are going toward the enemy, not running away. These committed servants and even friends of ours that we know personally from our relationship in the Ukraine, pastors and workers from these churches are going into the battle. But they're going in there only because of the power of God in their lives. And here they are pursuing this. Paul encourages the Galatians with these words, Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. 
And I just love the end of that statement there in verse nine. Strength in my hands, this utter dependency on God right here. So doing God's will, it also takes discernment. Look at verse 10 to 14. We see Nehemiah's discernment here. I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was restricted to his house. He said, let's meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let's shut the temple doors because they're coming to kill you. They're coming to kill you tonight. But I said, should a man like me run away? How can someone like me enter the temple and live? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. Tobiah and Samballot had hired him. He was hired so that I would be intimidated, do as he suggested, sin and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. So here it is. He needs discernment. It shows a shift in the enemy's attacks and even using a friend of his to invite him out and even to go into the temple with him. But he's like, and, and what man as I could go into the temple and live? He was well uh, familiar with Numbers 18.7. says, and you and your sons with you shall guard your priesthood for all that concerns the altar that is within the veil you should serve. I give your priesthood as a gift and any outsider who comes near shall be put to death. He knew that he went, if he went in unclean and unauthorized to this temple, then he would be put to death. So this shows us that they were really working hard to see Nehemiah rejected so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me, he says. But Nehemiah's godly discernment even goes further. And in verse 14, we see him saying, my God, remember Tobiah and Samballot for what they have done. His discernment shows that he doesn't need to take vengeance into his own hands. He knows the God of all vengeance that can take care of his enemies way better than Nehemiah could. So here we go, verse 15, the culmination of this whole thing. The wall is complete. It's just a short little verse that just matter-of-factly says he finished the wall in 52 days. In verse 15, this powerful thing that happened that God did what sense of relief and accomplishment this must have brought to Nehemiah. It's important for us to see in verse 16 here that doing God's will is an opportunity to show off God's glory. So verse 15, it says, the wall is completed in 52 days on the 25th day of the month of Elul. And then verse 16, when all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence for they realized that this task was an amazing one completed by Nehemiah, right? No. If you thought that, you weren't reading with me. Uh, It was completed by God. And all the enemies recognized it. It wasn't Nehemiah. It was completed by God. Wallace Ben states, the finished work was a great work to their surrounding neighbors. They saw that it would have never been done without God's help. See, when you discern and persist in the task that God's give you, when you accomplish something that seems impossible, it's an absolutely amazing opportunity for God to receive great glory and to show off his great power. But not just something amazing that seems miraculous, but even in your own life, a daily walk with God, you continuing to follow after God, even in difficulty, even in loss, even in pain, even in struggle, and your eyes continually are fixed on Jesus Christ, that brings glory to God, and the enemy doesn't know what to do with it. The enemy is intimidated, and you see them, the surrounding people see this, and they recognize who did it? It was God himself. My question maybe for you at this moment would be, how often 
How often does the unsaved world see God's hand in what you accomplish or what your family accomplishes? Or is it pointing to you? You know, sometimes I struggle with this, you know, even about the things like my kids do. It's like I have to rephrase things in my head because it's like I even want to promote them on social media. Oh, look what they did. You know, they won another soccer game. Aren't they great? Or even like Mission G, when I was posting that on social media, uh, when I was posting that video, I, I got kind of worked in my, my head a little bit to say, hey, uh, let's not talk about how awesome these kids are. And they were great. But let's say, how about this? Look at the amazing things God did through these students and leaders. Maybe for us, we can take a page out of Nehemiah's book and say, hey, maybe we can promote God instead of ourselves. Maybe we can push God's agenda and his glory and see him be glorified through the little things and the big things. And it made me think way back to my grandmom and my relationship with her and just watching her back in the day. Uh, always include God even in the littlest things. I don't know, maybe just as a pastor's kid, I got a little numb to things and uh, numb to the things that God was doing, just being in the middle of it. And oftentimes it was almost like, in a weird sense, like annoyed, like, oh, here she goes, thanking God again. Here she goes praying again about like, uh, you know, you know, the snow, you know, the snow's coming down and we're driving in bad weather and she's praying again. Like, why would I get mad about my grandma? I'm praying, but it's just like one of these things like, oh, there comes God again. Here he is. And it's like, why was that bad? Why do we get embarrassed or, or maybe self-conscious about recognizing God? How about we start recognizing God for what he's done and he's doing and he will do. Let's make that a habit like Nehemiah did. So it's just a powerful thing to think about. And then so he's on this mountaintop. It's the pinnacle of what he was called to do. They finish the walls and they got him up here and he's there. And so many times when we reach these mountaintops, it's like, man, we're set up for a fall, right? Look at common characters in the Bible. Noah, Samson, Jonah, Elijah, David. All these guys who did great things in the name of God and then really screwed up after. But here's Nehemiah. He's about to be tested again. It's not the end for him in this passage. Here comes Tobiah. He just seems to be hanging out all the time. This Tobiah dude, always in the shadows. In verse 17, we see it says, during those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him since he was a son-in-law of Shechaniah, son of Hera, and his son, Johanan, had married the daughter of Meshulam, son of Berechiah. These nobles kept mentioning Tobiah's good deeds to me, and they reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. So he's reached the pinnacle, he accomplished the task, and the persecution and the attack doesn't end. We have to take notice that oftentimes when God brings us to places that seem like mountaintop things, it doesn't mean the enemy's given up. It's probably getting stronger. So for us, we can learn this and realize the enemy continues to attack. And then in the first part of chapter seven, the first four verses, it shows us that doing God's will as a leader involves knowing what to look for and choosing fellow leaders. 
In verse two, it says, I gave my brother Hanani, Hanani, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful and God-fearing uh, man than many. So we see this, this statement that he even chooses people. He chooses people for his team uh, that honor God and love God. So it kind of even gives us some basic instruction on how to do that as well. It reminds me, this statement about Hananiah reminds me of Matthew eleven eleven, where Jesus talks about John the Baptist. It says, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. So it's a powerful statement. And then the rest of chapter seven is a bunch of names. And so uh, we're not gonna go through all of that, but I think uh, it's important for us to see that he used great wisdom in recognizing who to choose and who to include on his team. So go back to Romans 12, one and two. We started with this and we can finish with this. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, today we've observed that making God's will a top priority in our lives can often bring dangers and attacks from the enemy. It requires focus and godly persistence. It pushes us to be bold and discerning, and it gives us amazing opportunities to show off God's glory. So how about you today? Your life. Are you actively making Romans 12, 1 and 2 your goal? Maybe if not, you say, nah, hasn't really been on my radar. How about writing it somewhere you look every day, putting it on your mirror at home, somewhere that you will see it and take it, put it on your dashboard of your car or whatever it needs to go to, to realize God's will is found and embodied in this passage where we can present our bodies on a daily basis as acts of worship, no matter what we're doing or where we're going, and let God's will be done in your life. Let him transform you through his word. Let's pray. God, we come before you thankful for your word, thankful that you teach us and push us to be more like you. We thank you that you don't leave us in our sin, that you don't leave us alone, that you continue to push us to community. God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room that doesn't know you, Maybe they really don't know what it means to follow your will because they haven't trusted in you as their savior yet. I pray that even today that they will be able to take the time to recognize their need for you, to admit their sin, to call on your name, to, to trust in you as the savior, the king of their lives. Lord, I pray that they'll trust in you today. For the rest of us who claim you as our Savior, to claim to be Christians, Lord, convict us of our need to follow you, to pursue your will with a passion, with discernment, with boldness, with courage, and giving you glory along the way. God, today we give our lives to you as an act of worship. Please rid us of distractions that prevent this from happening. Lord, we repent from the habits of unconfessed sin in our lives that keep us from the pursuit of holiness that you desire. God, we confess that we are so often conformed to this world, allowing it to dictate how we spend our time and how we lead our families. 
Lord, transform us by the renewing of our minds through your spirit and the great power of your word. Amen.